songs, two great songs. Thank you, Brother Anderson, Calvary Choir. Prayer does change things. And we are not alone. Sometimes people don't understand. Peoples from different cultures, sometimes involved in conflicts, appear to be praying to the same God. And the question is often asked by people who don't understand, how could God answer everybody's prayer? Well, the answer is that God is always on the side of righteousness. He's not just on your side. He is, first of all, on the side of righteousness. And if you are on the side of righteousness, then you are on the Lord's side. See, the question is, who is on the Lord's side? So every country, every individual, every heart, every mind, whether you're an American or a Palestinian or whatever, the question is, whose side are you on? Not in terms of politics, not in terms of this earth. It's not whether or not you are an American or a Russian or a German. The question is, do you belong to the Lord? Are you on the side of righteousness? And so that, I think, is how we pray. We pray that God, the God of righteousness, the God of holiness, the God of justice, the God of peace, the God of goodness, the God of hope, the God of forgiveness. You see, you have to know what he is. And you could pray all day for God to take unjust revenge against your enemies and you would be wasting your time. You could sweat, as it were, drops of blood. And you still could not talk God into doing something that is against his nature or against his will. God cannot be commanded against his will or against his nature. So when you pray, you should pray that God would guide our nation and that God would keep our nation a lover of good things. That the people of our nation would be a lover of right, would be lovers of righteousness and lovers of peace. And if we pray that way, then God will be for us to the degree that we are for him and that we are on his side. I believe that with all of my heart. I believe God helped. You choose to believe whatever you want to believe, but I believe God helped the NATO forces wipe out the horrible, horrible atrocities that were being committed by Nazi Germany. There is no question that God does take an interest in human life and what goes on down here on this little ball we call the earth. You believe that? I do not share Aristotle's view that he is the unmoved mover, that he is not touched by what goes on in this life. The Bible teaches us the opposite, that God is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows our weakness. He knows and considers the fragileness of our frame. And he understands who we are, what we're up against every day, both in our individual worlds. Those worlds are, for the most part, part very small and, and they're just very simple worlds. But he also understands uh, the world in its wholeness, in its corporateness. And he's touched with the feelings there as well. Do you believe that? So let us pray today for our country that God would guide our leaders, that God would help our president, that God would certainly, again, we pray to comfort the hearts of those that have suffered these terrible losses. There's nothing impossible with God and that the forces of evil could use some of the things that per might transpire in the next few days to, to bring even more sorrow and, and suffering and, and perhaps more uh, control uh, against the freedoms of particularly Americans in Western civilization. I don't know. But I pray that good will come out of it. I do have a, a little word from the Lord that for us that love him and are called according to his purpose, that all things work together for good. And so let us pray that God will bring goodness out of all of this sorrow. Would you join with me right now as we pray as citizens of this country? Perhaps we have people visiting with us here today that are not citizens of the United States but we ask you to join with us and pray and let's pray not only for this country and for your country but let's also pray for countries all around this world because this is more than just a problem for the United States of America it will involve the people of Great Britain it will involve the people of Canada all through Europe those nations are joining with us so let's pray
God, in your precious name, we ask you now that you would be with us and that you would help us. We pray, God, again today, as we have several times over the past week, that you would somehow guide our nation, touch our leaders, give them wisdom and strength, help them to be bold and courageous in their pursuit of justice. We pray, God, that you will uh, help us as a nation to avoid misdirected hatred, that we would not hate indiscriminately, that we would not uh, waste our energy and our time on things that are despicable and unwholesome and things that are not according to your will and purpose. For we know that you are a God of justice and that you are a God of peace. We pray, God, that you will help us all as a church. Bless our families. Strengthen us. We thank you, God, for nations around the world that join with us in this struggle against evil and terrorism. And I pray, God, that you will help us now. Bring peace to our nation. Bring peace to our world. We pray for peace, God, because you taught us in your Bible that we should pray for peace and that we should pray for the well-being of our world. You taught us, God, that we should pray for our leaders and that we should be faithful in serving and doing what we can as citizens. You taught us that in your word. And so, God, we, we humbly submit ourselves to you here and we ask you to help us that our nation will always act according to righteousness and according to good justice and judgment and help us, God, that those that are in this world who are determined to be destructive and who are determined to do evil things, that somehow, God, they can be brought to a place of justice and that the evil that they have perpetrated upon the world can be stopped. We ask it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now raise your hands with me and let's thank the Lord by faith that he's going to be with this great nation and that he's going to help us. God, we know that you are a God of comfort and a God of peace. And we thank you because we know you're going to be with us. God, we celebrate the fact that you have filled us with the Holy Ghost and that you're watching over the church and that you have your great hand upon us. We thank you, God, because in the midst of every storm, you are there to be with us and to help us and to guide us and to lead us into all truth. And we thank you and we love you for it, God. For these days, we have felt your presence. We've felt your anointing. And we celebrate it and we thank you that even in the midst of the storm, you are an ever-present help. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you very much. We want to pray for Sister Cole, Sister Callie Cole, her brother, William Scott, passed away suddenly and unexpectedly, and they've of course, rushed to the side of their family down in, I believe, Kentucky. And they've asked us to pray for their family. So if you would bow your head with me now, I think we should pray for the Cole family. Very unexpected death, as I understand it. And uh, let's ask the Lord to comfort their hearts as they're dealing with that uh, tragedy in their own family. God, in your precious name, we ask you now to just look down upon the Cole family. Be with them as they travel down to their home place, be with them and watch over them and comfort them in this time of loss. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Brother Pettigo, you did super. I, I don't think anybody could have done better this morning than Tim Pettigo. Wow, what a lesson. I was trying not to listen and he kept pulling me in and pulling me in. And Brother Pettigo probably doesn't know it, but... Uh, some of you really old-time apostolic people here in uh, Indiana may have some memory of the powerful ministry of Brother L. R. Uten. And Brother Uten was a great preacher. I, how many can remember hearing Brother Uten? How many left here? Would you hold your hand up? All right, a very few now. But Brother Uten was a great preacher. I'm really thankful that I had the privilege to hear him speak on several occasions and he more than anybody I ever heard could mix sermon and song in such a very unique way and I hope God just gives Brother Pettigo the special gift that Brother Uten had he wrote the great song to be like Jesus to be like Jesus on earth I long to be like him and other great songs you'll find them in your songbooks 
Brother L.R. Uden, great Hoosier. We've had some good songwriters in Indiana. G.T. Haywood's great songs that we still sing today. And uh, I thank God for music people and what the Lord does with their lives. Now, I direct your attention to the Word of God. We're going to be in the book of Philippians. Would you bow your head with me now as we prepare to just talk to you for a few minutes? That God will give us focus. How many know the Word is anointed? And the Word, we've come here to hear the Word. We've come here to be instructed of the Word. And the Word is anointed. It has power in it. If you just read the Bible, the anointing of the Word is going to come through to you. And if the preacher preaches the truth, and he has a sincere heart, he may not be a great orator. The effect of God's Word upon the human heart does not depend upon human oratory. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? Because we would struggle to really uh, to get it then. But God's Word is anointed. And the preacher preaches with a clean heart, and he preaches with a sincere heart. God will help the preacher to get the Word into our minds and into our souls. Let's pray. God, in your name, anoint the preaching of the Word right now. Help us, Lord, that we might grow thereby. These next few minutes, I pray that you will just give me a touch of your Spirit so that somehow I can communicate with the church what I feel upon my heart. In the name of Jesus. Tonight, the Lord willing, I'm going to talk to you on the subject of evil for a little while at least. And I'm going to direct my marks, remarks tonight to our young people. But uh, I'll be talking to all of us. So I hope you're here tonight. We talk a little bit about perhaps the most interesting subject facing humankind, and that is the subject of evil. We'll talk a little bit about it tonight. Uh, yesterday, I think it was, perhaps the day before, I'm a little uh, muddled about that, but uh, President uh, George W. Bush went to New York City. And was that yesterday? Friday. I stand corrected. It was Friday. He went Friday. And he, of course, went to the site of this horrible terrorist attack, this disaster that has struck America, this attack against not only America, but as many people have pointed out, against freedom and against uh, freedom-loving people all around the world. It's a very frightening and scary thing in a way, uh, and we should be deeply concerned about it. And I don't know who uh, has coined the phrase, but it is a proper phrase, because where, even though these uh, terrorist attacks uh, struck two places fundamentally, uh, in New York City and then also in Washington, D.C. at the Pentagon, it is New York City that has been referred to as ground zero. Ground zero. I don't know who coined the phrase, but I think it's a proper phrase. And I'm going to try to look at it, and we're going to analyze it a little bit. And I'm going to talk to you about ground zero. And I'm going to try, by the help of the Holy Spirit, to show you, in the language of the Apostle Paul, the location of our spiritual ground zero. Ground zero is an interesting tag that has been put on the location where once these tall and glorious towers stood called the World Trade Towers. Now it's referred to as ground zero. This picture behind me, of course, is a picture that you've seen perhaps already hundreds of times showing the skyline of New York City without those twin towers. If you fly into New York, as I have many times, or you're out in the harbor, as I've been on the ferry many times, those towers dominate the skyline of New York. We think sometimes of the great Empire State Building, which, of course, is a wonderful building in its own right, but nothing has so dominated the New York skyline as these twin towers, the World Trade Towers, which are, in fact, a symbol of America's greatness and financial power to the whole world. Sister Mooney and I have eaten on the top of that restaurant a couple occasions. Wonderful place. A mall in the bottom of that tower is as large and as elegant as any mall you've ever been in anywhere in the world. Ground zero. 
question is, why do they call it ground zero? Why did someone choose to tag it ground zero? I'd like to suggest to you that at ground zero, that's the place where all has been lost. That is the place where all that is superfluous has been destroyed. It is at ground zero that everything comes into focus. At ground zero, you have to make some decisions. I want to put a little definition on the screen that says at ground zero is where you decide what you're prepared to cling to. Ground zero is the place that challenges you to examine your heart as to what you really believe, what really matters. You see, when those towers went down, it created a ground zero state of affairs for our nation. Because when you stand there and you see the devastation or you look at it through photographs or films as most of us have seen it, then you must say, this is, this challenges me. This is this is ground zero. This is where not only the event happened, but this is the place where the event affects my life. This event breaks down everything else. This event destroys all, as I mentioned, all that is superficial, all that is superfluous. This says, uh, I, when I look at it, I have to say, uh, what? Uh, what does this mean to me? How does this affect me? Uh, what am I going to do about this? How am I going to feel about this? Where am I going to go from here? That is the ground zero. In other words, you cannot, whether you are the president or the mayor of New York City, the president of the United States or the mayor, whether you are just a citizen or whether you are a fireman or a policeman, or a business person, you cannot look at that and say nothing. You cannot look at that and say, this means nothing, because in fact it does mean something. It could be, at least for us, at the moment, a place where things are redefined for us, a place where things are, uh, are uh, presented to us in a new way, without all the junk and without all the other stuff. In fact, I would suggest that is exactly what is happening at ground zero. People are coming to the place where they're thinking about what this means as an American citizen, what this means uh, with regard to our freedom, what this means with regard to our thinking, and what this means with regard to who we are. Ground zero. It's, it's, you can't just uh, look at it and not be affected by it. You can't just look at it and say, well, this is just another deal. Because it's not just another deal. It's not just another empty nothing. It's not another soap opera. It's not another movie. It's not another video. It's not just another wild night on the town. This is ground zero. This is where all that we are and all that we represent and all that we would ever hope to be is challenged at this particular place. Ground zero. This is where... Ground zero is the place where you are asked something. It's the place where you are challenged. It's the place where you've got... It's, it's like a vortex that pulls you in. It's like a great power that pulls you in. It's ground zero. It says, look at this. Look at this and tell me. How that we could think anything else is more important. Ground zero is something of such a magnitude that ball games are canceled. Movie theaters are shut down. Football games are canceled. Bars are closed. Ground zero empties out the bars and fills up the churches. Ground zero causes people to think about what their soul is about and what their heart is about and what their convictions are all about. See, ground zero is a place that pulls you in so strongly like a magnet on your mind, your intellect, your soul, your heart, and says, you can't escape this. You've got to make some kind of decision. This is ground zero. 
And I would like to share with you my feelings on this subject because I think the Apostle Paul came to a ground zero in his own life. And we might think of ground zero, that there is a spiritual ground zero. I believe really that they've coined this correctly. There is a ground zero. But there's also a ground zero for us as Christians. Now, here is where the Apostle Paul challenges us in Philippians chapter 1. And I believe it's, of course, it's his language, but it's our spiritual ground zero. Now, watch what the Apostle Paul does here. And you will see a parallel between what we are facing as Americans and what the Apostle Paul said we have to face as Christians. I don't know. I was not in the room. I, I, I did not hear the conversation. I only heard a report. It could have been uh, somewhat an inaccurate report. But if I heard it right, I understand that when President Bush was on the phone talking to the president of Pakistan sometime yesterday, that he laid out a list of things that we were going to demand from the nation of Pakistan. And it included unlimited use of the airspace. It included the right to land airplanes and to, to assemble troops uh, uh, across the great borders there of uh, those uh, uh, of Afghanistan and other uh, common borders. And so there was hesitation, uh, according to the report I heard on the phone, and the president of Pakistan was not sure uh, because he's in a no-win situation. If he becomes the friends of America, he perhaps will incite riots in his own country because there are many rebel groups that have threatened to kill him personally if he becomes a friend of the United States. And he hesitated. He asked for time. And according to the report I heard, and again, I'm emphasizing that I obviously only know what I heard. I'm not sure if it's absolutely true. Some of the things that we hear later we find out are not as accurate as we thought. But I assume maybe this is true. I don't know. But President Bush is reported to have said to him, no, uh, you don't have tomorrow. You, you have got to decide today. There is no tomorrow for you, sir. You must tell me today, because if I hang up this phone, I am going to consider you an enemy of the United States of America. It's not tomorrow that you decide, but it is today, right now, while we're on the phone, you tell me whose side you're on. You see, that's the ground zero. If I hang up the phone, Mr. Bush is reported to have said, if I hang up the phone, when I hang up the phone, you will be considered an enemy of the United States. You don't need any more time to think about it. I want to know whose side you are on. And of course, if you've read the papers today, you know that Pakistan decided that they were going to be on the sides of the Americans. As a matter of fact, the president of Pakistan or the prime minister said, I am a friend of the Americans and we will cooperate with you and we agree to all the things that you've laid out here. And so Mr. Bush said, thank you very much. So it was ground zero. Do you understand what I'm preaching about? It's where the issues are so great, where the, the, uh, the uh, test of our faith is so great that nothing else matters. When you're standing, I, and I go back, I just want you to get this and then I'm going to move ahead. It's not a long sermon, so just stay with me. When you're standing, no doubt they, they tell me that the physical the physical impact of being there, literally being there in front of that building is, is uh, much, much stronger than you could ever get through photographs or you could ever get through television. I'm sure that must be true. You could not, I would imagine, possibly stand there, Brother Lloyd, and think about anything else. You couldn't think about eating. You couldn't think about going to the movies. You couldn't think about getting to the ball game. You couldn't think about anything else because it's ground zero. It totally absorbs you. It totally consumes you. How many understand what I'm saying? So now watch the Apostle Paul as he describes for us what I would like to think of as his own spiritual ground zero, and it should be ours. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 20, he says, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, everybody say boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Here is Paul coming to his ground zero. He said, I want you to know that I have made up my mind. I, I write these words in all earnestness. I write this in fullness of expectation. In other words, I, I haven't any other thing on my agenda. 
I, I'm not interested in anything else. I don't want to talk to you about the Colts. I don't want to talk to you about the Pacers. I want to tell you where my focus is at. I speak this with all boldness. I speak this with directness. I speak this with all sincerity. Here is my ground zero, the Apostle Paul says, that Christ would be magnified in my body, whether by, help me now, whether by life, Or by death. See, ground zero cuts away everything that is superfluous. Ground zero says nothing else matters. Here's the Apostle Paul explaining to us, my life is about one thing. It's about Jesus Christ. My hope is about one thing. It is about Jesus Christ. I am going to magnify Him. I'm going to work for Him. I'm going to labor for Him. I'm going to be for Him. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. See, here are the two great issues laid out in a fashion that is absolutely certain. Paul says it is not about anything else. It's a, there are two great issues, are there not? Life and death. And he said, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. There's nothing else. It's my ground zero. Now, it's about one thing. It is about Jesus Christ. I am going to magnify Him. I'm going to work for Him. I'm going to labor for Him. I'm going to be for Him. If I live, I live for Christ. If I die, I die for Christ. See, here are the two great issues laid out in a fashion that is absolutely Certain. Paul says it is not about anything else. It's a, there are two great issues, are there not? Life and death. And he said, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. There's nothing else. It's my ground zero. Now, if ground zero is the place that forces you to decide, Ground zero is the place that consumes you, absorbs you, pulls you in like a magnet. Ground zero says something to your soul. If you took this issue the way the Apostle Paul took it, then I would like to suggest to you that there are three questions that your spiritual ground zero demands of you. You have no choice. Three questions. Three challenges. Three things. The first When you make Jesus Christ the issue of life and death in your own heart, in your own mind, the first question you have to ask is, who am I going to love? Who am I going to love? What am I going to really love? What is the first love of my life? Jesus challenged us. He really, Jesus always tries to take men to a ground zero. Am I telling it right? He always puts it in our face, so to speak. He always says, who is it that you love? You must love me more than houses. You must love me more than land. You've got to love me more than father and more than mother. You've got to embrace me. You've got to love me. See, the question, the fundamental question facing every American citizen, when you look at those pictures, what do you really love? Do you really love this country? Do you really care about this country? How many believe ground zero? Ask us that question. Do you really love America? Many people are answering that question. I noticed many of you in the parking lot have got flags on your cars. I saw people yesterday wearing flags on their t-shirt. People are going through and finding little flags to put on their lapel. Because ground zero asks you the question, what do you really love? What do you really care about? Now, I know that the fundamental question that most people ask is, does anybody love me? Most people whine around. I wish somebody loved me. I wish somebody cared about me. I wish somebody would give me a little love. Now, I don't want to in any way diminish the power of love. The power of love is an important thing. People's lives can be messed up if they can't find love. Most of us search for love. We want to be loved. We want to be touched. We want to be admired. Am I telling it right? And uh, they say that little children, sometimes when they're... they're uh, Somehow uh, restrained or they're not giving they're not given any love that little children can have their whole lives messed up as a result of that. 
They, they can go through all kinds of terror. They can go through all kinds of fear. They can have all kinds of psychological and emotional problems because the human needs to be loved. But I'm here to tell you something. You do have a need to be loved. I can, to be loved. I concede that. But you also have a need to love. This is what people are trying to say when they say America is morally bankrupt. We've so concentrated on getting love that we forgot to love. We've, so, we've been so concentrated on taking stuff out of this country that people have forgot about the importance of putting something back into the country. We're the same way toward the church. We want the church to do this and to do that and to make a way for us here and to answer this problem and to answer that problem for us and to provide us this and to provide us that. that. But the question is, do we love God? Can we make a sacrifice? Can we take up the cross? Can we bear the shame? What do we love? Sometimes people are whining around. I try to counsel with people sometimes and they're crying around and they tell me horrible stories. Nobody loves me. I guess I'll go eat worms. This person abused me. This person hurt me. This person did this to me. And sometimes I try to shake them up and I say, who have you loved? I was in the hospital, someone says, and nobody came and visited me. Well, when was the last time you called the church to get the hospital list? When was the last time you went out of your way? When is the last time you taught a Bible study? When was the last time you really made an effort to give sacrificially? When was the last time you got in love with missions? When was the last time you threw yourself into an altar service? This place can be lined with sinners and we leave. You make it to stink and shake before we're finished praying with people that's seeking for the Holy Ghost. And I got a little question for you. When are you going to get to your ground zero and answer the question, what do you love? What matters to you? I can promise you, we all know this is true because we have a tendency to be superficial as human beings. You can put a flag on the top of your little antenna out there in your car. That doesn't mean you really love America. What really tells the story is when we make the sacrifices and we make the commitments. We can talk about revenge, but, you know, somebody has to join up. I saw an article in the paper today that 40 and 50 year old men are going to the military trying to sign up. And the commentator, this is in today's paper, even though many young people are signing up, already the military is noting the tragedy. We got 40 and 50 year old men. We got old men from World War II, World War II, and old men from Vietnam. And you Vietnam guys are old. You haven't looked in the mirror lately, have you? So these guys want to go one more time. See, that's a passion that they had. Somewhere, somewhere in their lives, they reached a ground zero that said, our country matters. Matters to the degree that I'm willing to die for it. But our young generation hasn't reached that point yet. You don't love it to that degree yet. You don't understand freedom to that degree yet. You don't understand the cost of freedom, the price of freedom, the sacrifice of freedom. And so the military says, somewhere, we've got to get the young people in love with this country. See, that's what ground zero says to you. That's what it does. It asks you the question. What do you really love? And Paul said, I've come to grips with this in my spiritual life. I want Christ to be magnified in my body. If it takes death, then use death to magnify Christ. And my life is surrendered to Him. Nothing else matters. Where He leads me, I will follow. Clap your hands to the Lord. Help me preach now. Ground zero, ground zero. One old preacher said, when they get ready to write something on my tombstone, I want them to write these words. He loved God. Not that God loved him. And I'm glad God loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now look at that. Analyze that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But that sacrifice demands... Calvary was a ground zero. When you look at Calvary, you've got to understand it demands something of you. You've got to give your life to this. And we've got too many chicken-hearted Christians. We've got too many Christians that are uncommitted. We live in the superfluous world of pleasure and entertainment. Our tables are filled with all kinds of junk and trash. We can't find the Bible for having so many magazines on the coffee table. We haven't had time for prayer, but we sure got time to plug in to have a trashy, filthy thing. 
that Hollywood jumps out and I got a question for you. Who do you love? You gotta love this with your soul, with your body, with your mind, with all of your heart. It's ground zero, you see. It just demands something of you. I hasten forward. Not only does ground zero demand us to answer the question, what do you really love? It also demands us to ask, what are you going to do? That's the power of ground zero. What are you going to do? President Bush there Friday, standing on that rubble with that little megaphone in his hand. And they said, we can't hear you. We can't hear you. He was trying to talk to them. And finally, he shouted into the megaphone. He said, well, I hear you. I hear you. And the whole world is going to hear us. Because, you see, you can't get to ground zero without deciding to do something. And when Bush was standing there, as he had done already, of course, but he reiterated the fact that he was prepared to do something. See, ground zero demands you do something. You have to have a response. I'm not here to pretend in any way that I'm a military person or a political person. I don't know exactly what they should do. I just know that ground zero demands you to do something. And it's that way in your Christian life. I know that when I come to church, I don't always... You know, sometimes you can resist the things of the Holy Spirit because you know, really, you know, bottom line, don't you, that the Holy Spirit is going to always challenge you to draw closer to Jesus Christ. It's always going to challenge you to draw. Sometimes we want to just be left alone. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to have any particular burdens laid upon us. We don't want anybody to challenge our thinking. We don't want anybody to challenge our passion or our pocketbooks. But that's not the way it is. Jesus paid the price for us. Ground zero, when you get to that place where you realize that nothing else matters, to serve Christ, to keep His commandments, that's the whole duty of man. When you get to that place, that ground zero in your life, you, you cannot help but say, what do you want me to do? I'll go wherever you want me to go. The apostle Peter got to that place and left his nets and followed Jesus Christ. He ceased to be a fisherman on that eventful day when Jesus Christ talked to his soul. Do you understand what I'm talking about? He reached a ground zero in his life and he couldn't fish anymore. That's where you got to get to that place where you can say, I'm in this world, but I am not of this world. Men need to do something. Women need to do something. Doing is important. You can't just be a taker all your life. There's something called responsibility. Some people, I listened to Bishop Golder preach today. It was such a a wonderful sermon. They were playing one of his old sermons. And he preached this morning. He said, you know, some people never reap anything good because they've never sown anything good. And the Bible challenges us that we have to sow unto righteousness. What are you going to do with your life? You can't just be a parasite all your life. Like some kind of leech and blood sucker. All you ever do is attach yourself to the church and you try to take everything out of it that you can. But what are you going to do? You men that's been married two or three times and you come by the church to try to find another woman whose life you can ruin. When are you going to cease to be a blood sucker and start thinking about what you can really do to be a Christian? Now, I know you don't like this kind of preaching, but you see, ground zero demands that you do something. It demands that you challenge your heart as to what you love, what you're going to do. The great poet Carlisle said this, we are not here to play, to dream, to drift. We have hard work to do and a load to lift. Shun not the struggle, face it. Tis God's gift. Be strong. When God challenges you, when God says, I want you to do something, he's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to help you. Now, I've dealt with this for a long time in my ministry, challenging people to get people to do something. And you know what? One of the real hang-ups in this whole dynamic of motivating people, getting people to do stuff. Most people want to do something, but they want to do something great as it is defined by themselves. Because a lot of men will do something if they think there's enough in it for them. But what praise do you get if you do only that for which you get deified or glorified? Paul asked this question. He said, what reward is it if you only do good to them that do good to you? Or if you only do good in expectation of getting something back? 
If everything you do is a business deal, then you're a businessman, not a Christian necessarily. Help me now. If your angle is profit, then that isn't giving. And so, we're left with this question, what, uh, what, what are we going to do? But some people get it all muddled because what they want to do is what they want to do. Let me give you this illustration. Floating down the river of the Nile was a little baby in a basket whose name was Moses. And a woman discovered him. Pharaoh's daughter. Right? She took him on. If you're, forgive me for this word. She took him on as a project. But he's just a baby in a basket. Are you with me? Just a baby in a basket. She doesn't know much about him. She doesn't know anything about him. Not only is he a baby in a basket, as she finds out, he's an Israelite baby in a basket. He's a slave baby in a basket. But she takes him on. Until he's the most educated man in all of Egypt. Until he's the most powerful man in all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And I'm here to tell you a lot of great things God will send to you will come like a baby in a basket. It'll be small and insignificant. It may not look like much to you. You preachers need to listen to me when I tell you this. Because you dream about doing this or doing that. Something that will make you famous and make you well known. Or something that will add a spectacular point to your resume. But I want to tell you, many of the great things God has for you comes like a baby in a basket on the dirty waters of the Nile. And you've got to be able to see when God's got some little thing that he's given to you, that that little thing could become a great thing if you be faithful to him. But you've got to be faithful. Before God is finished with you, there is no telling what God will use you for. I think of Indiana Bible College. It came to us like a baby on the Nile, on a, on a dusty riverbank. They transferred $147 to us. Six rusty picnic tables and a hundred and some chairs that we had to throw away. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a baby in a basket. But you see, some of you got behind the project, men in this church and women in this church, and you gave and you sacrificed. And last week we were so proud, were we not, to see 250 young students from all around the world standing up here singing in the choir. That's what I mean. It's God says it's ground zero. What are you going to do? And when you put your hands to the wheel, never look back when you put your hands to the plow. Never look back because the Bible said if you put your hands to the plow and you look back, you're not fit. Ground zero demands that you do something. And thirdly, ground zero demands that you get your life going in the right direction. That you have a destination. You can't go nowhere because there is no such place as nowhere. People say, where are you going, man? Nowhere. You can't go nowhere. The Beatles tried to put it in a song. I'm a nowhere man headed to a nowhere land. No, what was wrong with them? They were high on pot. There is no nowhere. Everybody's going somewhere. You're going to end up somewhere. You're going to end up on the wrong side of the tracks if you're not careful. You've got to calculate the destination, you got to think about it, because every step you take leads you somewhere. Somebody said, well, I've decided to drift. When you know when you decide not to decide, you've decided. You've decided to do nothing. It's like having your hand on the rudder of a boat, and you say, well, I think I'll just decide to let this boat drift. And take me wherever it wants to take me. You've made a decision to drift. And drift you will. But if you get into the harbors of success, if you get into the harbors where God can use you, if you get your ship tied up to an anchor and to, a, a sh, uh, to the right place and to the right shore, you're going to have to cast your sails and you're going to have to hold tight to the rudder and you're going to have to push against the winds because you can't drift. Can you imagine some fool waking up on Sunday morning and saying, Oh, I'm on top of Mount Everest. Nobody accidentally gets on top of Mount Everest. You've got to plan for it. You've got to work for it. You've got to labor for it. America is at ground zero. I'd like to suggest to you that they have to decide. America, as a country, all of us as citizens have to decide what we really love. Do we really love freedom? 
We're not the first generation that's ever had to make this question. President Bush said what the fathers, what our forefathers started now, we've got to complete. We've got to finish. We've got to stay with the apostolic movements kind of like that. You can't live in the past. You've got to step up and protect the doctrine, protect the faith, protect the message of holiness. So we're at ground zero as a nation. What do we really love? What are we really going to do? That's the question. Congress says votes, I think, almost however many, 100, 500 and something Congress and Senate together. Only one dissenting vote. Some woman from California stands to reason, doesn't it? Not the woman part, the California part, please. The California part. The only woman that voted against the resolution. They appropriated $40 billion yesterday, gave President, or sometime this week, and gave President Bush unlimited powers to wage war. Well, that's doing something. It may or may not be the right thing, one could argue, and I understand all that. But you see, when you're at ground zero, you've got to do something. And you know what I suspect? That there's many of you in this place that have never been to your spiritual ground zero. I hope I can say this without sounding self-serving or in any way, but... I think in my own life, I've reached a couple places where ground zero has been pressed in on me. It's not about what any of us desire or want. It's about what God's will is for our life. And you have to live always with the shadow of the cross cast on your path or you're nothing. For without Christ, we have no life. And so Paul says, mark this somewhere, in life or in death. I have passed this test in my mind, in my emotions, in my soul, in my heart, in life or in death. Let Christ be magnified in me. For I have no other agenda now. I think in American history we probably only have one modern example. There are many examples. But I think we have one modern example in the last 40 years. A young black preacher, 38 years old, Martin Luther King Jr., Speaking in Memphis right before he spent the night, a fateful night in that horrible little hotel from which he was shot off the balcony. And if you've listened to that speech, and I've heard it many times, the evidence is clear that he had reached his personal ground zero. For him, there was no turning back. For him, he had to climb the mountain. He had to do the work. And he said, even if I die, I'm committed to the cause of civil rights. He was at his ground zero, you see. Nations get there. People get there. Causes get there. The question for us today is, are you there? It's your personal ground zero. I believe the Apostle Paul was there, don't you? For me to live is Christ. For me to die is the two issues settled, stand. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. For the things He has with his power he has saved me with his power he has raised me to God be the glory are bowed and eyes are closed and I'm as serious as I have ever been in the 14 years that I've had the wonderful privilege of standing in this pulpit and preaching to you I don't think I've ever felt a deeper motivated sense of seriousness as I have felt right at this moment and I'm going to ask you something not in an emotional way just in a direct way can you join with me today and say, as the Apostle Paul said, I've kind of reached my ground zero. 
lately. Maybe in the past week or so. That's okay. See, you, you, may be, you may feel a little cheap. I hope you understand what I'm saying here. You may feel a little cheap because what's happened in America, you feel like, well, it's kind of pulling on me emotionally and it's kind of a little cheap. And, you know, this too will pass. Don't think that way. It's okay for an event to affect you. My father's death affected me. My mother's death affected me. I've lost a sister that affected me. I lost two brothers that affected me. We've had tragedy and heartache in our home, sorrow and difficulty and loss. It's all affected me. Events. And all of those events, I like to believe, drove me into the arms of God and drove me closer to God. So you don't have to be ashamed. We had that horrible automobile accident. Sister Mooney's neck was in a cast for six years. That affected us, ladies and gentlemen. Affected the way we thought about life. I don't feel cheap when I bring that up and say, God, you know, that was a bad time for us, God. But God strengthened us, matured us, and brought us closer to Him. See what I'm talking about? So you don't have to feel cheap. But if somehow in the past few days, I feel like I've kind of come to a new ground zero for myself you can just raise your hand with me and say pastor whatever God wants to do with my life missionary, preacher faithful member of the church I'm going to serve where I can could you raise your hand and say for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain I love you Jesus Take my life, Lord. Use me, Jesus. Not my will, but thy will be done. Hallelujah. 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 Say yes to him inside your soul right now. Don't ever be afraid of God's will, God's purpose. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Even if God's will is not easy, it will always bring joy. It will always bring peace. I know that. Oh, God. Now lay your hand on someone's shoulder without being obtusive in any way, just so that we can be bound together here in a few minutes. Someone near you right now. Let's pray for one another in the Spirit. God draws together. Draws together. Draws together. Draws together. At ground zero, you have to decide what you really love. At ground zero, you have to decide what you're really going to do. At ground zero, you have to.